This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. Welcome back, guys. This is Encounter with God, 20 million movement, 20 million people studying the same passage of the Bible at the same time, and we are back on track. Been kind of running behind schedule for the last couple of weeks, playing catch-up, and now we have caught up with the 20 million other people from right around the world, (laughs) which, of course, is a good thing. Yes. Uh, Before we get into the 20 million movement, I do need to mention Prophetica. Oh, yes, yes. Lawson, have you been to a Prophetica? No, I have not. Okay, you are missing out. So, the good news is that Prophetica is coming up. Yes. This time in Armidale. So, this is a program that sort of uh, it travels around Australia. I've been to a number of these. I think I've been to actually all of the Propheticas. We had one in Tamworth. There was one in Hobart. Uh, started in Queensland. It's a somewhat of a movement that is taking place. Mm. Prophetica is a Bible prophecy convention. Mm. It's where you have a group of experts who come together for a weekend to do presentations, answer questions, and explore subjects of Bible prophecy. Mm. And, of course, it is open to the public. Anybody can come and attend it is very, very, very exciting material that it, that is presented in any of these propheticas. And, of course, coming up, uh, when was it? I think the ad was on there just a moment ago, um, is prophetical. Let me pull up my calendar right here. It will be here coming up. Not that week. Yes, that weekend, the 22nd of this month in Armidale. 21st and 22nd of this month in Armidale. Prophetica is taking place. And so I would invite you all to come along to uh, Prophetica at the Armadale Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, there'll be presenters there from across Australia. I'll be there as one of the presenters. So, yeah, do come along. You know, there's one in Newcastle, right? When was the... New- when? When, it, when, when, when? It's either this year or next year. I'm pretty sure it's this year, right? I'm pretty sure it's this year as well. It's like halfway through this year. Indeed. And they're doing it... I heard in the Civic Theatre. There you go. Do you know where the Civic Theatre is, Lyle? No. It, why, why would I know where the Civic Theatre is? Oh, I come it's, from, I'm, we- I'm westy. It's the play. It's I'm like Hunter Valley. the big theatre. Like in Hunter right- Valley, we do it outside in the vineyard. <laughs> well, this is the vineyard of the city of Newcastle in no ways except for it's really cool basically <laughs> um, no yeah it's in the civic theater which is like this giant hall where they do like professional plays and everything and it's like oh it's so good i am like super keen so yeah mate get on board so Almadale this month and then because they have a number number of them this year they have like four or five this year in various locations. In various locations. I have one in Tasmania, a couple in Queensland. So, yeah. But the one that will be coming up soon is the one that is in Armadale. And the other great thing about Prophetica, I just have to say this about Prophetica, is that the presentations are not long. Mm. They're short presentations. They're more like TED Talk style. A little bit like well, that way, yes. They go for about 20 minutes after which you can quiz and grill the speakers to your heart's content. So you can ask them all kinds of questions, which is really, really useful. 
It's a great format. It's cool to keep Lyle on his toes. I might, I might go. I might go just to sit in the crowd and ask you questions. Yeah, and and, and create havoc. I'll put like you know, you know those classic disguises, uh, disguises where you have like the big nose and the glasses and the mustache. I'll put one of those on so no one knows it's me. Yeah, no one, no one will know. No one will recognize. They just won't know. And like, I'll just sit there and I'll just person? ask you really, really difficult questions, and then you'll be like sweating, and it'll be funny. And I'll have no idea it's Lawson. No, you won't. You'll be like, who is this person? Who knows so much about the Bible? (laughs) Okay, so um, I am just super excited. Daniel chapter 5 is one of my favorite chapters. In the historical chapters, Daniel 3 and Daniel 5 are my two big favorites. Mm -hmm. Although Daniel 4 is creeping up amongst my favorites, Daniel 5 is just amazing. This is so cool. this, This is Game of Thrones. (laughs) <laughs> right here. This is this is truly Game of Thrones. And we need to cover some of the historical background as to what is taking place in this chapter. It is just amazing. Mm. Would you like to read for us verse 1, please? Yes. Let's read Daniel chapter 5 and verse 1. The Bible says, Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for 1,000 of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. Okay. So, the Bible, in typical style, just skips... So much history, as mm. like the last thing we heard, Nebuchadnezzar was giving his life to God. And, you know, if we consider about Nebuchadnezzar um, giving his life to God and, you know, going insane, all that, that, that whole process that took place during that period, there are a number of statements that, you know, have come down to us from, you know, inscriptions from the past and statements from the past that verify, you know, this was exactly what was taking place you know, in Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar, you know, of course, he loses it. He makes this, you know, is this not, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the mm. majesty of my kingdom for, you know, etc., etc. You got inscriptions, you know, um, such as this one from uh, the British Museum. I have made Babylon the holy city, the glory of the great gods, more prominent than before, and have promoted its rebuilding. I have called this, caused the sanctuaries of gods and goddesses to lighten up like the day. No king among all kings has ever created. No earlier king has ever built what I have magnificently built for Marduk. He's saying this about himself, but it is actually true. Mm. I have furthered to the utmost the equipment of uh, Esaglia and the renovation of Babylon more than it had ever been done before. All my valuable works, the beautification of the sanctuaries of the great gods which I undertook, more than my royal ancestors, I wrote in a document and I put it down for future generations. It's like, yes, I am the greatest king and I wrote it down <laughs> just so that I don't forget and you don't forget. All my deeds which I have written in the document shall those read who know how to read and remember the glory of the great gods. May the Way of my life be long. May I rejoice in my offspring. May my offspring rule over the black-headed people into all eternity. And may the mentioning of my name be proclaimed for good at all times. <laughs> classic. For- I don't know who the black-headed people are, but it's classic. I just know that that part is the best. May the-, the mentioning of my name be, what is it said, uh, for all times. May I rejoice in my offspring. May my offspring rule over the black-headed people into all eternity. And may the mentioning of my, my name, name be proclaimed for good at all future times. Oh, man. <laughs> the reality is that Nebuchadnezzar's name has been proclaimed for good. Yeah. 
right down to our day, but not because his offspring ruled over the black-headed people, whoever they might be. Mm. It's probably his own people. It's probably the Chaldeans mm. um, who he's referring to, right? He's pro- it, it's not necessarily a, uh, a racist statement. But it just, you know, in today's society, that's like super unpolitical. That's pretty racy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but the reason that he has, his name has been known for good for all future generations is because he gave his life to God. Mm. Wow, that's such a good point. So you got this clay tablet, just a fragment of a clay tablet that popped up in the British Museum talking about his insanity. Sorry, I cut you off there. Oh, I was just going to say, Nebuchadnezzar is basically, yeah, he's more well known because he's of his you know, conversion. Yeah. Because his involvement, like his involvement in the Bible, then all of his buildings, all of, like, I think it's interesting, like for, for, for myself and for you. And I just know like in, in circles of people who study the Bible, like we look at Nebuchadnezzar as this great historical figure, but no one like in the outside world, like there's very few people, you know, other than historians, the people who are really keen on history, who really know who Nebuchadnezzar is, but uh, like outside of, people who read the Bible. Because then there's just like, you know, amongst, for example, youth unless, in the church. Unless you go to uh, Iraq. Yeah, unless you go to Everybody Iraq. Everybody knows who Nebuchadnezzar <laughs> is in Iraq. <laughs> but then it's like, you know, how many kids do you talk to at church and their favorite story is a story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the, in the fiery furnace, you know, and Nebuchadnezzar, it's like, that's what he's known for as being the guy that's in the Bible, which is just oh, so good, so good that God could use him so much. And this is the thing that we see, like, in spite of his claims about himself, that, uh, yes, I am going to be talked uh, about in future generations as being the best of the best because I am the best. And then you read his story and it's like, as we've been going over in Daniel chapter 4, it's like, no, he's known for being the worst of the worst. He became the amazing. Yeah. So. Okay, so we had this, uh, this small inscription. It's in the British Museum, just a portion of a tablet. And so the whole story is not there. Mm. But there's a very strong allusion to his insanity. You know, his mm. life appeared of no value to him. Then he gives an entirely different order. He does not show love to son or daughter. Family and clan does not exist. Mm. Um, and then we have the historians who describe, you know, the end of his very long 43-year reign and how it came to a finish. You're listening to Faith FM. Positively different radio. Oh, lol, quick, quick, quick. We yeah. forgot to do a clue for the quiz. Okay, let's do it. All right. What book am I? I have three chapters and I'm authored by Paul. Okay, if you know what book that is, then give us a call right now, um, 1-800-324-843 or text us on 491 uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Lyle, okay. now, so no double prizes, yeah. but anyway, Single prizes available. Okay, so um, coming back to uh, what we were talking about, uh, the death of Nebuchadnezzar, how he came to his end, he lived a long and prosperous life, according to Barosus and Abidenus, who are both Babylonian historians. Mm. And so we've got two corroborating testimonies right here. Um, Nebuchadnezzar died in Babylon between the uh, second and sixth months of the 43rd year of his reign Mm. in an era when people often didn't live past 43 years. Mm. Um, After, both of them corroborate the fact that this takes place after prophesying the end of the Babylonian Empire. (laughs) Wild. Wonder where he got that idea from. Mm. Okay, so to bring us up to date in relationship to uh, Belshazzar 
and what is actually taking place here uh, with uh, the story of Belshazzar. We now move on to see what happens after Nebuchadnezzar dies. Mm. Uh, the first person to come to the throne is his son, mm-hmm. Crown Prince Amal Marduk. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the three worthies, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I can't remember exactly which one it was. Let me just look this one up real, real quick. Was the um, was the personal secretary of Amal Marduk? Mm. Let me just look that up. That should be in this one right here. I just pulled this one up for you, and I'll not tell you which one it was. Uh, where's my list? Here. Furiously it's, scrolling. Uh, Abednego. Yeah. Um, okay, so according to a prism that was uh, that was dug up, uh, which no, you know, notable mention is of court officials, Abednego was became secretary to Crown Prince Amal Marduk. And it was Crown Prince Amal Marduk, when he comes to power, he rules for a very short space of time, but it's during that short rule that he frees the captive kings of Judah. You can read mm. about that in Second Kings 25, 27 to 28, how they have been, you know, held in captivity in Babylon during this time period. And it's at this particular time that they are set free and they are set free by Amal Marduk, who is the crown prince, the son of Nebuchadnezzar. But Amal Marduk is only able to hold the throne for two years. And this is often what you find happens, you know, when you have a great emperor who dies, there is a period of instability while somebody tries to come along and be strong enough to be able to take the throne. We have a similar thing in Australia. We do. We do. Oh Unfortunately. <laughs> Democracies can be like that. Okay, so then what you've got is his brother-in-law, who is a very young man, Labashi Marduk comes to power. Mm. Now, Labashi Marduk, of course, is married to Nereglissa, who is Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. Mm-hmm. He manages to last just nine months mm. before Nabonidus murders him. Now, Nabonidus is married to Necrosis, or Nit... Yeah, Necro... Nitocris. Nitocris. I get my... <laughs> I'm around these uh, Babylonian names. Nitocris. And the, this Nabonidus is a fascinating character, mm. as is his mother. Yes. So both he and his mother just interesting characters to study because they're just so different and so complex and it's so hard to try and wrap your brain around these individuals right here. So he's also, so it's almost like these two sisters are having a war through their husbands. Mm. So it's a military coup, it's a military takeover. Labashi Marduk uh, dies and um, and, and Nitokris um, becomes the queen with Nabonidus ruling. But Nabonidus was an Assyrian. Mm. Okay, so what you've got to remember, and this is going to become this is going to become interesting because it's going to make this 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 particular dynasty somewhat unpopular amongst the Babylonians. This was an era in which political alliances were made by marriage. Yes. The Babylonians had thrown off and destroyed the Assyrian Empire, which had ruled for centuries mm. by sheer terror. Yeah. Two things, a professional army and sheer terror. Babylon had been able to get rid of that. The problem with that was that the only form of government that had ever been modelled to the Babylonians 
was a government of terror, and this is one of the reasons why you find Nebuchadnezzar being such a psycho. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of what was modelled to him his entire life, um, growing up under the end of the Assyrian Empire, and then, of course, his father, Nabopolassar, establishing the Babylonian Empire. But he, Nabonidus, is one of these dreaded Assyrians. Mm. He comes from Haran, which is the last Assyrian stronghold. It was the last place where there was anybody who claimed to be an Assyrian king. Mm. He claims royal descent from Ashurbanipal, mm. who is an Assyrian through his father, and through, I think it was Sennacherib, who was an Assyrian through you know his mother. And, and, and so he's claiming this royal descent from these Assyrians, and he's ruling over the Babylonian Empire, and he has this different god which is where his mother comes into play. And she's super interesting as well because she is a priestess of the moon god and the moon god's name is Sin. Yeah. Has a different meaning today than what it had back then. And that's important. So we're not just talking about, it's not you know talking about the you know, evil, even though we do consider uh, the moon god Sin to be, um, you know, worshipping the moon god to be an evil practice for sure. Um, it's, that's just the name of it. I have a good, very good friend whose name is Sin. Yeah. S-Y-N. Um, it's Chinese. It's a Chinese name. Um, so, yeah, it's just different words in different languages. Mm. Um, so he, he worships this particular god, and he tries to bring about a change of religion. So you've got this Assyrian king who comes into power, and he's going to change the religion of Babylon. Mm-hmm. Now, you can imagine how that goes down. So Marduk, we're not going to worry about Marduk anymore, or Bel. We're going to worship the moon god. We're going to worship Sin. Mm-hmm. Now, if somebody just rocks up in your country, you know, Lawson, and says, okay, we're not going to worship God anymore. We're not going to worship Yahweh. We're going to worship Jesus Christ. It's over. We are now going to worship, you know, and they name some other god. Sin, <laughs> because that's what, it, that's yeah. what it would be. We're going to worship the moon instead. <laughs> yeah. How are you going to feel about that? Oh, man, I would... Do. How are other Australians going to feel about that? Yeah. It's- you know, we have a lot of Islamic immigration here in Australia, mm. and some Australians feel pressured, like, oh, there's so many Muslims here, they're going to outnumber the Christians. Mm. And they feel pressured because of that, and that same pressure is taking place, but on a much, much bigger level in Babylon, because this guy has come to power, he's been able to secure and stabilize the throne... So he's actually got a lot of power, but he's cha- trying to change the religion. Probably the only um, other you know, historical royal anomaly that would come even close in the ancient world was uh, King Tutankhamun's father, uh, Atenekan. I forget how to pronounce his name um, as well. But you know, he tries to get rid of all of the religion and all of the multitudes of Egyptian gods and say, we're just going to worship this one god. Mm. And he tries to bring in a... a, a form of kind of semi-monotheism. Mm. And as a result, you know, he builds a new city um, where and, a, and new temples where this new god is going to be worshipped. But he is wildly unpopular. Mm. And as soon as he dies, the Egyptians breathe a sigh of relief and go back to appeasing all of these other gods that have been, you know, kind of ticked off by this guy who was like, yeah, we're going to become, you know, a form of... Not monotheism, but less theism, we, should, might, we might be able to call it. <laughs> we're going to be less theistic. Yes, we're going to have less gods than what we've had before. 
this is kind of the direction that Nabonidus is going. Okay, that's not only what's interesting about him, is his worship of the moon god Sin actually turns him into what is seen to be the world's first great archaeologist. Mm. And we've got to remember that, we've mentioned this before, in this day, the world was old. Yeah. It was incredibly old. Mm. Like you can do archaeology here in Australia, you can dig up things that were 200 years old. This is 2,500 years ago, they could do archaeology and dig up things that were 2,000 years old. Mm. Just incredibly old. We're going to uh, listen to this song uh, by Lady Smith. Lady Smith. It's called uh, King of Kings. King of Kings, before you, Father, asking for peace in the rest of the country. Lord of Lords, before you, Father. Appealing, asking for peace in the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. Our Father, our Father, we are asking for peace in the world. Mm-hmm. Our Father, our Father, we are asking for peace in the world. Our Father, our Father, we are asking. For peace in the world, our Father, our Father, we are asking for peace in the world. Reveal yourself, reveal yourself, reveal yourself, reveal yourself, reveal yourself, reveal from heaven, because we are guaranteed to you. To you, to Almighty, we are talented to you forever, Almighty. The sun rise and set, set and set, sunrise and set forever, Almighty. Your promise, our Father, set fear down, Lord, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God, I will strengthen thee. Yeah, I will help thee, yeah, I will uphold thee, with my right hand of my righteousness. Reveal yourself, reveal yourself. Reveal yourself, reveal yourself, reveal yourself, reveal yourself, reveal yourself, Rise and set forever, Almighty. Reveal yourself, reveal yourself, Almighty. Because we are directing to you forever, Almighty. Because we are directing to you forever, Almighty. Reveal yourself, reveal yourself, Almighty. Because we are directing to you. Forever, Almighty, because we are directing to you. 
Welcome back, guys. That was Lady Smith Black Mambazo, King of Kings. You're listening to mm. the Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. Lawson, give us another clue for a quiz. Okay. Okay, here we go. What book am I? This book bears the name of uh, the person to whom Paul sent it. Okay, there you go. So there you go. has three you know chapters. It's authored by Paul. Um, quote, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. If, yeah, if you know what it is, 1-800-324-843, you'll win a prize completely for free. Okay, coming back to uh, Nabonidus, we were mm-hmm. just talking about who he was, what he was, oh, yes. you know, the role that he played. Interesting guy, how he worships sin. There was a religious festival that took place in Babylon every year in which it was required that the emperor, who was the worshipper of Marduk, would go into the temple of Marduk and take hold of the hands of Marduk. Mm. Nabonidus doesn't do this. He sees sin as being the supreme god, the moon god sin. It does not sit well with the Babylonians. They are on edge about that because he is not honoring their God. And if he is not honoring their God, then what is their what does their future look like? Not only that, but Nabonidus goes on an archaeological expedition. He, he, he does archaeology in Babylon. He does archaeology in Haran. He does archaeology in a number of different places. Um, and with all of his archaeology, um, basically what he... Part of what he's doing is he's looking for the foundations of the ancient temples to the moon god. And when he finds Mm. them, he takes the artifacts that he finds and places them in a museum and then attempts to date those artifacts. Wow. Now, in his attempt to date those artifacts, he's off, according to modern archaeologists, by about 1,500 years. (laughs) But considering the age in which he lived, still not a bad attempt. Mm. And to be doing, you know, archaeological excavations and setting up a museum and displaying the artifacts that he found. You know, this was not some something that happened, you know, 2,500 years ago. Mm. This is unique with this character. He's such an interesting guy. Anyway, the long and the short of it is he is not popular. But he has a son, Belshazzar, who is the blood grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Mm. He is not a blood descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. His wife is. Mm. But he has a son who is a blood descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, and so he gives the the throne of Babylon to his son, Belshazzar, and he heads out into the desert, a place called Tamar. Mm. Now, Tamar was an important city in the desert. It was an oasis. 
Uh, it was a major tra- uh, you know, trade route where people would, you know, traveling through, particularly from Arabia, there was a lot of wealth that came through Tamer. He goes out there and creates a center of worship for his favorite god, his moon god. Mm. And it's almost, you know, he was such a mystic. If you look at your great kings of Babylon, you have Nabopolassar, who is the great warrior. You have Nebuchadnezzar, who is the CEO and architect and engineer. Mm. You have Nabopolassar, sorry, Nabonidus, who is the great mystic. He is super superstitious. Mm. And, of course, his mother has a very controlling influence over him. And, you know, it's probably be a, a good time at some stage to go into the history of who his mother was and the relationship that they have with each other. And, of course, you know, she was a high priestess of the moon god Sin. She has a lot of influence in this. And she's like, yep, you know, you need to establish this as the new state religion. Anyway, that's, uh, that's sort of where Nabonidus comes into it. And this is why we find that Belshazzar takes the throne in Babylon. What's interesting is that when the Greeks record the history of Babylon, they never mention Belshazzar. Mm. Now, the Greek Empire comes very, very soon, and the Persians as well. They come, you know, the Persians conquer the uh, Babylonian Empire, and the Greeks come not long after that. But they never, ever mention in any of their writings this man by the name of Belshazzar. They just list off the names of the Babylonian kings. You know, there was Nabopolassar, and then there was Nebuchadnezzar, and then there was Amul Marduk, and then there was Labashi, and then there was Nabonidus, and that was it. He was the last king of Babylon. And so when people read the Bible and they read about Belshazzar, they're like, well, Belshazzar doesn't appear anywhere in history, therefore the Bible must be wrong. Why would we read the Bible? Why would we trust the Bible? You know, and then you have those others who come along and say, well, you know, the Bible is actually too accurate. It's so accurate, they could have only been written after the events mm. as a record of history rather than a prophecy. Mm. Doesn't solve your problem because the prophecies extend two and a half thousand years. Mm. And of course, they will go on to claim that those uh, that, that was written during the late Hellenistic or Greek period, mm. where they just sat down and wrote, oh, this is what happened in the past, and they wrote the book of Daniel. Uh, but then when they come to Belshazzar, it's like, well, what do you actually do with that? If that's taking place during the Greek era, no one in the Greek era is recording this Belshazzar. Mm. He has been forgotten to history. He's a bit of a nobody. Mm. And so for a long time, your Bible critics and higher critics who are throwing stones at the Bible said, yeah, this is just part of myth and legend. Belshazzar never existed, and so the events described in this chapter also never took place. Mm. Once again, archaeology comes to the rescue. Yes. And digs up a multitude of artifacts and inscriptions that mention Belshazzar. Uh, have you still got that one there, Lawson? You were looking at one of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, the cylinder of Nabonidus. So the Nabonidus cylinder, um, which is, is... So here it says, um, the Nabonidus cylinders from Ur are also noteworthy because they mention the son named Belshazzar, who is mentioned in the book of Daniel. The cylinder states, As for me, Nabonidus, king of Babylon, save me from singing against your great god. He was writing to the god of sin. Um, save me from sinning against your great Godhead and grant me as a present 
as a present, a long life of days. And as for Belshazzar, the eldest son of my offspring, instill reverence for your great godhead in his heart, and may he not commit any cultic mistake. May he be may he be sated with a life of plentitude. Okay, so we have a very, very clear description of uh, Belshazzar right here as the crown prince of mm. Babylon, and there are many other inscriptions that talk about how he was a co-ruler with his father. He was actually the ruler of Babylon because you find that uh, Nabonidus, you know, he's just sort of sitting out in the desert with um, his legs crossed saying Om for like, mm. you know, 10 years. And you find the, the Babylonians, you know, year after year, you know, the festival of Marduk has come and the emperor hasn't been here mm. again. So Belshazzar, the crown prince, has to go and perform this rite for the Babylonians, but the Babylonians are nervous about it. Mm. So that's part of the background to this story where Belshazzar is having a feast. Mm. But there is much more to the background of his story than just the history of Nabonidus. Mm. There is also the history of another of the most interesting individuals of ancient history, whose name is Cyrus. Yes. He's going to come from a small, relatively unknown province called Persia. Mm. And he's going to form an Achaemenid dynasty that is going to rule the world for the next couple of hundred years. Mm. He's going to grow up in abject poverty, even though he is born as a crown prince. And we need to understand why? Who was this Cyrus? And why is he a symbol in the Bible, a type of Jesus Christ himself? Wow. How do you get a pagan king who is a type, a symbol of Jesus Christ? That's coming up tomorrow, so stay tuned. This is the Downing Family with King of Babylon. King of Babylon, bow your knees. The writing's on the wall. Your kingdom's days are numbered and it's just about to fall. Your gods of silver, bronze and gold can't save your soul at all. So king, you better sing some praise to heaven. The writing's on the wall, now once in Babylon. A king upon his throne, let wine and foolish pride go to his head. Then there appeared one night A hand by the candlelight And it wrote a note And this is what it said so basically, King of Babylon, bow your knees The writing's on the wall Your kingdom's days are numbered And it's just about to fall Your gods of silver, bronze and gold Can't save your soul at all so, King, you better sing some praise to heaven. The writing's on the wall. It's time you're made to see 
mind if you don't change your ways Well, you're gonna find someday Your soul's worth more than everything you own King of Babylon, bow your knees The writing's on the wall Your kingdom's days are numbered And it's just about to fall Your gods of silver, bronze, and gold Can't save your soul at all So king, you better sing some praise to heaven The writing's on the wall What comes to mind when you think of studying nursing? Practical experience? A rewarding career? Great employment prospects? When you think of nursing, think of Avondale College of Higher Education. 92.7% of our nursing graduates were employed within four months of completing their degree, with credible experience and with friends for life. To apply now, visit avondale.edu.au. It's higher education, designed for life. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. At Hamilton Adventist Church in Newcastle, we have a food pantry service for the community. Everyone is welcome to join us for a free dinner. Enjoy good company and have a great time. All you need is $10 to buy a numbered ticket and you can collect a trolley's load of food ranging from fruits, veggies, tin food, pasta bread and toiletries. Every Thursday, the food pantry starts at 4.45pm with a 5pm start for dinner. Find us at Hamilton Adventist Church at 105 Lindsay Street, Hamilton every Thursday evening. All will be welcomed with love and a smile. We really hope to see you there. Forsake his own 
Listening to um, Digby King with Adams. No, is it Digby. What am Digby I? What am King I reading here Adams, on the screen? Little is much. Okay. The, okay, I see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. I've got all these little dashes and dots. I'm like, what on earth is happening up there? Anyway, question of the day time. Um, Lawson, what question of the day have we got today? Okay, question of the day is: What was the first musical instrument, Lyle? This is a really, really interesting question. In fact, we had this discussion here in the studio when this question first came up. Uh, you weren't here. Gemma was here. As to what was the first musical instrument.